a skeptic friend that I meet on a regular basis. And he is a friendly skeptic, so it gives me the opportunity to witness to him. And he so very much needs the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we meet, he likes to say things that get a rise out of me. Uh, This past week, he said to me, you know, Christians follow a book instead of inner guidance. He said, isn't following a book a crutch? And I said to him, well, you know, that's the same thing that the wrestler, Jesse Ventura, one time said. He said, organized religion is a crutch for weak-minded people. And I responded to my skeptic friend, and I said, well, if you're a cripple, don't you need crutches? He had never heard that before. He didn't know what to say. But it's true. I'm a cripple, and I need crutches. You know, all of us are spiritual cripples. And the most disastrous thing that we could ever do is follow our inner guidance. We need something more solid, something more reliable, something more firm. We need the book. We need the book. Now today, in our message, we are going to see why the book is far greater than the inner guidance that my skeptic friend thinks that we ought to follow. Uh, We are coming back today to the end of John 14 in our series on the Last Supper. And Jesus has been teaching us about the Holy Spirit, and as he wraps up chapter 14... He wants to share with us two more wonderful ministries of the Holy Spirit. And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John 14. And we want to look at verses 25 through the end of the chapter. And as you're turning there for just a moment, let's bow our hearts briefly in prayer and thank the Lord for what he has for us today. Oh, great and wonderful God. Thank you that you are a God who communicates. You are a God who reveals yourself. And thank you that we are not left alone to grope, to find our way in the dark, to somehow look and get guidance from our own inner selves. But thank you that the blessed Spirit of God has been sent, that we may have the very mind of Christ. Today, as we study the Word of God, we can know that what we are learning is the truth from God himself. So guide us now as we look into your wonderful holy word. We pray for the Spirit's leading in his wonderful name. Amen. Look with me, if you would, at John 14, verses 25 and 26 to begin with. And notice Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, the wonderful ministry that Jesus is talking about here is that the Holy Spirit is a supernatural teacher. And you will notice that Jesus describes his nature, and then he describes his teaching. Now, let's look at his teaching first, and then we'll look at his nature. But when we read this verse, that he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, we are very quick to assume, oh, I know what that means. That means when I study the Bible the Holy Spirit will bring back to my memory the things that I have learned. Now, let me just say to you, I I believe that is true, but that is not the primary meaning of this verse. Uh, When we study the Bible, the very first question we must not ask is, what does it mean to me? That question comes later. We must never put application before interpretation. The first question we must ask is, what did it mean to the author, in this case, Jesus? And when we ask that question, we discover these verses primarily refer to the apostles. Now, Jesus, then, is basically promising the apostles two things. Number one, he is promising them that the Spirit of God would remind them of Jesus' words. When he says the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that I have said, what he is saying is that the Spirit of God would be like a prompter, reminding the apostles of all that Jesus had taught them. Do you realize how hard it was to remember Three and a half years of Jesus' teaching? Imagine how difficult that was. Do you know the Gospel of John was written about A.D. 85, a full 50 years after the life and ministry of Christ? Do you know John 17 alone, which we will get to, is Jesus' great high priestly prayer? It contains 26 verses. How many of you could remember a prayer from over this pulpit two weeks ago? Imagine a prayer of 26 verses 50 years ago. And so the Holy Spirit was needed for that. Now the second thing Jesus says is the Holy Spirit would explain the meaning of Jesus' words to the apostles. Now we know as we read our Bibles that a lot of the things that Jesus said went where? Right over their heads. They did not understand them. In fact, look at what we've seen in in John 14 alone. Uh, Jesus says, you know, uh, heaven is like the Father's house, and that's where I'm going to be going. And then he said, "Um, I'm going to come back, and he explains to them the rapture. And then he says, "Um, I'm the only way. And you remember what Thomas said? He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. 
How can we know the way? And then Jesus begins to say, you know, um, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, the words that I speak, I'm not speaking, but He's speaking in me. And uh, He reveals Himself as the full revealer of the Father. And you remember what Philip says. Philip says, Lord, would you just show us the Father? That'll be enough. And then later in the chapter, we find Jesus saying to the disciples, "Uh, I'm going to institute a spiritual kingdom right now. My earthly physical kingdom is going to come later. I'm not going to manifest myself to the world. I'm only going to manifest myself to you. And remember what Thaddeus says? He says, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I mean, they are just confused. And so now Jesus says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is going to enlighten your minds, you apostles, so that you can understand what I have said, and then you can write it down in a perfect record. Do you know this promise that Jesus is giving? explains to us how the Word of God comes to us, and particularly the New Testament. Let me place a very critical diagram on the screen this morning, because we really need to understand how this works. God's Word comes to us in three ways, revelation, inspiration, and illumination. Now, revelation is when God, the Father, gives His Word. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. Inspiration is when the Holy Spirit, who is the author of inspiration, led the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament to write down that Word in our Bibles. 2 Peter 1.21 says this, that Holy men spoke from God when they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they recorded without error the Word of God. Now, can I be very clear here? We do not participate in these first two activities. Anyone who ever says they participate in revelation or inspiration, watch out for them. They are blowing smoke. These activities, uh, particularly in the New Testament, were for the apostles. But now there's one more step. That is the step of illumination. And this is where we come in. Now, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Because what Jesus said in John 14, his apostle, John the apostle, explains in 1 John 2, verses 26 and 27. And this is where we come in. Man, is this beautiful. Look at verses 26 and 27 of 1 John chapter 2. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, 
and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, now abide in Him. Here's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when we are born again, He enlightens the eyes of our heart. Did you know that the Bible says as a Christian, we have eyes in our heart, they're spiritual eyes. And the moment you are born again, the Spirit of God comes in and He enlightens the eyes of your heart so that you can understand what has been written in the Word of God. That is the amazing, amazing work of illumination. Now last week I told you I don't usually get spiritual gems from politicians. But I came across a quote from a woman many years ago who ran for president, a politician from Minnesota. Her name is Michelle Bachman. And when I saw this quote, I thought, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Look at what she says. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our teacher. That's why in prayer we can ask the Lord to open up the Scripture and make it come alive to us. To open our understanding. He left His Spirit with us till we join Him in heaven. Now that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Now let me just hasten to add, this does not mean we do not need to study. Because 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God. It doesn't mean that we need, don't need human teachers because the Bible says that God has given to us pastor teachers. But here's what this means. The Holy Spirit is our primary teacher. And without Him, we cannot understand this book. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're tracking with Jesus like I am, you have a question... How confident that can we be that the Bible is reliable truth from God that is to be trusted? By the way, isn't that the problem with my skeptic friend who says we should trust our inner guidance? How do you know when our inner guidance is reliable? Suppose I were to say to you today, um, I'm going to teach you from my inner guidance. And you were to say to me, well, Pastor, how can we be sure that your inner guidance is reliable? And I would just say, like one friend of mine said, well, you just know. So I'm going to teach you from my inner guidance. Just trust me. I just know. Well, how many people live their lives that way? I mean, that's ridiculous. And then here's the other problem. What do you do when your inner guidance conflicts with somebody else's inner guidance? If we are all following our inner guidance, inevitably it's going to conflict. What then? Say, what happens at a four-way stop when two cars arrive at the four-way stop at the same time, how many of you want them to trust their inner guidance as to who goes first? 
I've seen a few accidents right over here. No, there has to be an objective standard that says, this is who goes first. By the way, who does go first? Well, you guys, you know the law, man. It's the person on the right. You see, you have to have a standard that tells us who is right and who is wrong. Now, did you notice in this verse that Jesus gives to us a fuller description of the Holy Spirit? Look again at verse 26, and this is the first time in the chapter that he has called him the Holy Spirit with that title. And we have to ask the question, why? It's because Jesus wants us to know that we can trust the Holy Spirit, therefore we can trust the Bible. Look at what Jesus says. Uh, Let's move from the, the teaching of the Spirit to the nature of the Spirit. Notice, He's the Holy Spirit. He's sinless, infallible. He makes no mistakes. So He can bring to the remembrance of the apostles everything that Jesus said. And then notice again, He calls Him He. He will teach you all things. He's intelligent. He's relational. He's capable of knowing the mind of the Father and teaching that mind in the Word. And then notice in verse 26, Jesus said, He's going to be sent in my name. The Holy Spirit is on the same mission that Jesus was on. He doesn't bring different truth. He brings the same truth. It's only in some places deeper. It's only in some places fuller in our Bibles. But it's the same mission that Jesus was on. Now, can I just boil this down very simply for all of us today? Here's what I would say Jesus is saying. If I trust the Holy Spirit, then I trust the Bible. If I do not trust the Bible, it means I do not trust the Holy Spirit. And you say to me, Pastor, is it that simple? My answer to you is absolutely. If I trust the Holy Spirit, then I trust the Bible. If I do not trust the Bible, it shows I do not trust the Holy Spirit. By the way, the next time I meet my skeptic friend, I'm going to ask him that. He knows I love him. We are on a friendly basis. Hey, if he can ask me things that put me on edge, I can respond. And I'm going to say to him, the next time I see him with a smile on my face, do you trust the Holy Spirit? If you do, then you will trust the Bible. And if you don't trust the Bible, then you don't trust the Holy Spirit. One of the great pastors you know was A.W. Tozer. He could say things a whole lot better than I could ever say it. Let me share with you what Tozer said. The Holy Spirit wrote the book And he is the only one who can impart its truths to the human soul. 
Let us therefore approach the Scriptures prayerfully, expecting Him to teach us those things which we left to ourselves could never discover. He'll not disappoint us, for He has come into the world for that very purpose. And all God's people said, That is exactly right. That is exactly right. Now in this chapter, Jesus gives to us a final wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit. He tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural peace. Supernatural peace. Would you look with me at verse 27? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, at first, it seems like Jesus is giving us a new subject. He's done with the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to go on and talk about about, about peace. But that is not the case. Finish this quotation with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Jesus is not starting simply a new subject. He is telling us this is another ministry of the Holy Spirit. He gave to us the same words that Jesus gave here in our Bibles. Now he gives to us... Jesus' peace as well. So it's a ministry of the Spirit giving us supernatural peace. Now, here's a question that we have to ask. What kind of peace is Jesus talking about? Well, the greatest illustration of this particular peace in verse 27 is that I've ever seen is in a painting by a living artist by the name of Jack Dawson. He's a Christian man. And he made this painting, which he says is the best illustration of the peace that Jesus promises that he could come up with. Uh, Does anybody see a little problem here? Looks kind of chaotic, doesn't it? I mean, that's a roaring waterfall with thunderous water coming over rocks. And there's a storm. The sky is dark. There's lightning. There's thunder. This is chaotic. Say, how could this be the best illustration of peace that Jack Dawson could have painted? You know what you got to do? You got to zero in. And when you zero in, you can thank me for doing this for you later, okay? When you zero in, look what he has painted. Let me read it for you. On a rock projecting from the cliff, sheltered by an overhanging boulder, sits a little bird calmly in its nest. Seemingly unmindful of the howling storm or of the raging waters which plunge downward nearby. There the little bird sits in peace with no fear, unperturbed and undone.
disturbed. That's the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. Now let me just put it on the screen in a statement. The Bible says that there is a peace of God that all Christians can have. And it calms our hearts and gives us courage. That's what Jesus is talking about because he says to the disciples, when you have this peace, you won't be troubled, nor will you be afraid. And the word afraid there means to be cowardly or timid. So what he means is the peace of God will come into our hearts, calming our hearts and making us courageous. Let me ask you, uh, who is author Bill Thrasher describing. Let me read it for you, and you think in your mind, who is he describing? Imagine being continually and cruelly rejected by your own people. Your efforts to love them being met by both indifference and intense hatred. Ponder awakening each morning to the reality that there was a plot to kill you. One of your closest associates will betray you and deliver you up to be killed. Your most vocal supporter will deny even knowing you, and all other close friends will desert you. Where would you go for support if you had no spouse? Your own brothers misunderstood you and even mocked you, and your closest friends let you down in your hour of greatest need. Suppose I told you that the person who actually experienced these stressful circumstances lived with continual peace and was the most joyous person who ever lived. This person, of course, is Jesus Christ. And he desires to share his peace with you. That's the peace that Christ is talking about. You know, my mother, who was a very simple believer, had this kind of peace. Uh, when we moved into the neighborhood that I grew up in as a boy in the 60s and 70s, there was a Christian lady across the street who, before we got there, had had a good news club. One day, the neighbor's kids came home from the good news club, and they were questioning their own religion. The father got very angry went next door to this lady and let her have it. She became so frightened by him that she quit her good news club. Then we moved into the neighborhood across the street. Guess what my mother started? A good news club. When she heard that story... I knew my mom ain't quitting. In fact, I knew this is what would happen. If he stormed across the street to our home and angrily confronted her, she would have said to him, I'm sorry that uh, my good news club has upset you. What I'm teaching comes straight from the Bible. You can look at the material if you want. I understand if your kids are not going to come anymore, but I'm going to continue having the club for other kids in the neighborhood. Now, my mom was not Wonder Woman. She was a plain, ordinary housewife. She grew up in Gulliver, Michigan, which is a one-stoplight town. If you blink, you miss it. 
Where did she get that kind of composure that under any opposition she would be strong and resilient? Brothers and sisters, it comes from the second kind of peace that Jesus said a Christian can have. The second kind of peace is peace with God. Assuring our salvation and His eternal plan. Look at verse 28 and 29 for just a moment. This is very, very critical that we get this. Jesus said, You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now why should the disciples have rejoiced that Jesus was leaving them? Because it meant that he was completing God's plan of salvation. Uh, By the way, the cults love to use this verse in which Jesus says, the Father's greater than I. They love to jump on this and say, see, Jesus said he was not equal with the Father. But Jesus here is not talking about his equality with the Father. He's talking about his position. When he left heaven and became incarnate, he humbled himself and he became uh, underneath his father's authority. It was in that sense that he was lesser. But when he went back to heaven and once again resumed his glory, he assumed his position again. And now Jesus says, you should be rejoicing about this. You know why? Because it means his death secured our forgiveness. It means his resurrection grants to us eternal life. It means because he's ascended back to where he left, we can have eternal security, and it means he sent the Holy Spirit to teach us all things and to empower us in our ministry for him. That's why they should have rejoiced. The Hebrews had a word for this. It was shalom. They would greet each other, shalom. As they would leave, they would say, shalom. What does shalom mean? Shalom means spiritual well-being from a right relationship with God. Shalom means I know that I'm right with God. I have experienced His salvation. I have His well-being. And I can experience the rest of salvation. Uh, one of the, the founder of the college that I went to was Dwight Moody. And he had a wonderful statement. He said this. He said, a great many people are trying to make peace. But that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All that we have to do is enter into it. Receive it. And when we receive it, we are at peace with God. And then we can experience the peace of God. When I was a student in Chicago, I became involved in the Big Brother, Little Brother program. 
My little brother was uh, a boy of 11 years of age. His name was Ronnell Wright. Now, near the college where I went to school in downtown Chicago, there was one of the most dangerous uh, neighborhoods in all of Chicago. It was Cabrini Green. Do you know, it was so dangerous that um, a pizza delivery men would not go to Cabrini Green um, after hours because the crime rate was so high there. Guess where my little brother lived? Cabrini Green. One Sunday morning, I'm 18 years of age. You can tell by looking at me that was a long time ago. I'm on my way to take Ron L. Wright, my little brother, by the way. This breaks my heart. He later ended up in youth prison. I tried to reach him. But I was on my way to Cabrini Green, Sunday morning, on foot, because I had no car, to get Ron L. and take him to church. The police stopped me. They said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to get my little brother to take him to Sunday school. They said to me, do you know how dangerous this neighborhood is? I thanked them for their warning. But I felt total peace. I went on, got Ronell, took him to Sunday school, took him back to Green. Now, I was not being reckless or foolish. This was early Sunday morning. The streets were deserted. It wasn't dark at night. I wasn't loitering in a place where I probably shouldn't have been. But this is what I knew. I knew I was saved... I knew I was in the will of God, for surely it was the will of God for me to take my little brother to Sunday school, and I knew that I was on God's mission. And because I knew that, I had peace as an 18-year-old in Cabrini Green on Sunday morning all by myself. Do you know one time later in the evening in a neighborhood north of there? I was walking to church in Chicago on the sidewalk. I heard the footsteps of men running behind me. They were running to get into a nightclub that was up on the sidewalk in front of me. And as they got closer and closer and closer... Something said to me, Brian, you need to move over two steps. I moved over two steps, not even seeing them, and as they passed me, the guy closest to me had his arm raised, clenched in a fist. And I knew if I had not moved over, he would have struck me and pushed me over. And I felt very much that God had given me the impression 
to move over two steps that I might be saved. And I remember on that occasion having incredible, incredible peace. As many of you know, John Calvin was the greatest of the Reformers. John Calvin very much knew peace with God. He had been saved. And because of that, he knew the peace of God. Calvin lived a life of much opposition and much turmoil. In fact, at one point, he was the greatest leader of the Reformation. He was banished from Geneva, the city that he lived in, pastored in, and led the Reformation in. And just like Tozer could say much better the Spirit of God's work in relationship to the Bible, so Calvin can say much better than I can this amazing peace that anyone can have who is at peace with God. Let me give you his words. Let them penetrate. When once the light of divine providence has illumined the believer's soul, he is relieved and set free, not only from the extreme fear and anxiety that formerly oppressed him, but from all care. For as he justly shudders at the idea of chance, there is no chance for the Christian. So he can confidently commit himself to God. And because we know that, we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Let's bow our hearts together for just a moment. In just a moment, we will sing and our service will close. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want you to know that as I come into this new year, these ministries of the Holy Spirit are precious indeed to me. I find great comfort in all areas of my life. If you don't know the Lord today, you can't answer that question that Yvonne asked earlier about you know for sure where you're going. You need to come to know Christ. Whoever you need to talk to, whoever you need to get with so that you can understand that you have the assurance of your salvation, please do that. Because it's only when the Holy Spirit comes in that you can experience what we're talking about. I don't know the foreboding things that you are going to face this year in 2016. God knows. I'm sure our brother and sister, the Lingles, did not know their dad was going to pass away. None of us knows what we're facing. But if we have peace with God, in all situations, we can have the peace of God. It's our birthright in Jesus Christ. And this morning, whatever it is that you are involved with, just say, thank you, Lord. 
Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you know all that is happening. Thank you that you are not going to leave me, that you're going to be with me. And even though I don't have all the answers, you're going to keep my heart in perfect peace because I trust in you. Father, today I ask that you would hear our prayers. Help us to claim our heritage. Help us to claim what Jesus Christ came to bequeath to us and he sent his spirit to enable us to have. And may we this year live in confidence in the truth of your word and in the wonderful assurance of the peace of our hearts. Thank you and praise you for Jesus' wonderful sake. And in his name we pray together. And all God's people said,